That's what they tell us in preaching classes. I just say that so that you know I actually went to preaching classes. But um, part of uh, the discussion that happens among preachers from time to time when they get together is uh, trying to fine-tune a little bit about sermons and especially coming into a sermon on the front end. And the idea of starting strong is if you don't capture people's attention immediately, you'll never get it. Which uh, kind of takes me, I guess, to a little practice that I, uh, I, I guess I, it, it evolved, it developed in me, and it was back in a time when I was flying on a regular basis, several times a week, and I, it was, they weren't long flights, but they were uh, commercial airline flights nonetheless, and you still got to go through all the pre-flight stuff and the baggage check and, you know, those kind of things. Uh, and I had flown enough in a short period of time that I had memorized the pre flight emergency procedures spiel. You know which one I'm talking about? Where they get up and they stand at various places in the aisles of the airplane, the steward or stewardess or flight attendant, whatever the right politically correct terminology is, and they hold these fake seat belts and they tell you all that stuff and they tell you which exit you're supposed to go, all those kind of things. And I had flown enough that I had memorized all of that stuff. So I developed this practice of finding the rookie flyers. You know how you can tell somebody flying for the first time on a commercial air flight? They're the ones listening to the pre-flight emergency directions. None of the rest of anybody listens to that stuff. And here's the reason. Everybody who flies knows that if it gets to a situation where that plane is going to have an emergency and you're going to crash, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing your seatbelt or not. The airlines are faced with the same struggle that preachers are faced with. How do we get people's attention long enough to say what they need to hear? And some of you are going, well, you just lost mine. And so it was all a waste, or was it? Here's my premise today. As we come into this, uh, we're, we're taking another step in this now extended look in the book of Acts chapter 2. So I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible. Acts chapter 2. But we're taking another step in this extended look. And at this point, I'm just going to tell you up front that uh, I'm actually going to sort of preach another guy's sermon today. Uh, specifically, Simon Peter, as we come to today's study in this, we find Simon Peter's sermon as it comes now front and center. And we've looked at a number of different things out of Acts chapter 2. But every piece of this we are putting together so that we get a good composite picture of how we as Christian people should be engaging people in our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. The reality is that those people with whom we are working or dealing or speaking when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, they're just like those people on an airplane who may or may not be interested in what you have to say. And yet it's critical information. And I, as you probably figured out from me already, uh, I, I have some issues with the way churches have historically tried to do that. So what I want to do today is I want to look a little bit at how Simon Peter handles his sermon. 
Because I think we find five principles, and I know some of you say, oh my goodness, he's going to do five points today. I'll make them quick, or relatively quick, and we'll be out by the time the Cowboys lose today. So, <laughs> or, or maybe they'll win, who knows. So let's jump in. How do you introduce Christ? Book of Acts, chapter 2, we find the... Uh, It's day of Pentecost, and these Christian uh, disciples, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, have been without him. He's ascended back to heaven. And on this day of Pentecost, we find the account in the early verses of this chapter where the Holy Spirit comes, and it is a sight to see and something else to hear. And Simon Peter steps into the mix of that. In verse number 14, we read these words, but Peter... By the way, let me just interrupt to say, uh, I'm going to read a lot today because I want to get his whole sermon in. And so bear with me. We're going to see what his sermon says and we'll come back and put pieces of it uh, to work for us. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he quotes Joel from the Old Testament. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Simon Peter picks up the discussion again. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, And now he quotes David out of the Psalms. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now he gets back To the heart of the message, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he should, uh, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And with this now we draw five key elements that will help us as we take life and we share life with people. Now maybe it's a good point for me to stop and ask a pointed question or two before we get into these five different statements that I want to lay out there for us. Here's the first one. Who is it in your circle of people who desperately needs life that only Jesus can give? You see, I operate under the assumption that all of us rub shoulders and do life with people who are not experiencing the life that comes only through Jesus Christ. Now, just that statement is, tends to be a little bit offensive to some people. In a world and a society that seems to be bent on saying, hey, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And if those are not the same thing, well, then it all washes in the end. The problem with that is that we look around us in the world in which we live, there are people who are under-functioning in life. It happens when you try to do life without a relationship with the one who designed life. And so we're called, we're placed into these circles of people who desperately need life. But I'm of the opinion that our traditional church approach may not always acknowledge the people with whom we're trying to share life. So Simon Peter gives us a few hints, if you will, a few helps along the way. Here's the first one. Simply stated, I think what he would say to us is that we need to pay attention to what God is doing around us. In other words, tap into what's going on around you. Look for God's hand in what's going on around you. Let me just go ahead. Well, by the way, I get this out of verse 11, the second part of verse 11, where we hear these people. I know that we didn't read this a minute ago, but we hear these people who are seeing the coming of the Holy Spirit and these flames and hearing what they hear. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Simon Peter, before it's all said and done, is going to tap into that. But in order to tap into that, you have to recognize what's going on. So the first principle is pay attention to what God is doing around you. Let me just uh, see if I can lay it out this way for us. I think this might help us get it. Are you aware that the United States just came through an election season? Don't you wish that just stretched on forever and we just continually, perpetually lived in the election cycle? No, me neither. Would you say that the level of anxiety in American society today is better than it was a month ago before the election? Or would you say that it's the same, which is bad? How is it? What is the pulse of America these days? And we were just subjected to almost two full years of going at each other. As a country, uh, my uh, suspicion, I guess my position is that now the only real difference on this side of the election is we're still just as divided as we were, except now we have somebody that we can focus on, or at least some do. 
Does it ring hollow? Doesn't it ring hollow? When Christians talk into a society that is divided and contentious, and we brag on the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What does it say to a society when we find churches that are split and people inside churches and Christian people who backbite and go at each other and yet stand forward and argue for the validity of Jesus as a life change person? I I think that if Peter could talk to us about this, he, he might well say to us that we need to make sure that we're aware of what's going on out there. So what is going on out there? Let's go back to that circle of people that God has strategically placed you into. And those people who need Jesus in your circle. What's going on in their lives? If you were to talk to them about what's going on in the country, would it be a political discussion or would it open the door for you to talk about Jesus in the midst of that? You see, I... We used this back when we were studying through the book of James and we were talking about the trials and stuff that we go through. And I threw this question out as a centering kind of question, something that cuts through all the fog of discussions and debates and political positions and all that kind of stuff. Here's a simple question that we can ask ourselves in the situation and even potentially ask into a discussion. Where's God in that? If you're talking to someone who's concerned on a financial front and there's no peace in their life because their world is falling apart financially, a simple question, where's God? And that helps you lock in on what's going on with them. Where do they think God is in their trouble? If it's a health diagnosis and you go to the doctor and you're the one who's given that terrible diagnosis, where's God in that? But if that person that gets that diagnosis is in your circle, are you paying attention into that? That that part that says, okay, this is what they're going through. What do I see? How do I hear them talking? What are they experiencing? And where's God in that for them? So we start with, where's God in that? Simon Peter did that here. He hears what's going on. He sees them. They even make... (laughs) They even make the accusation that these Christian people are drunk and it's early in the day. Well, that could be. I've known a few Christian people that drink early. Not at my house, but maybe yours. I don't know. So we start by paying attention to what God is doing around us. You see, one of the things that gets in the way of this for us, I think, is that we... We have been trained to go in with this ready-made body of material. As I said a few weeks ago, we get more interested in data transfer than life transformation. So I go back to my time as a youth minister. Many, many years ago now, I was in college. We were serving this little country church up in the panhandle of Texas. And... um, Our son, our oldest son, was less than three years old. I don't know exactly how old he was, but uh, young enough that Teresa was working at a bank in in Plainview, and we lived out on on a farm. uh, And so one of the ladies of the church was keeping our son during the day while Teresa worked, and I was going to school and working. And and this church, uh, I went as a music minister, tells you how hard up they were, 
Um, and then they asked me, because they knew I wasn't doing a very good job with that, said, well, maybe we'll try you doing youth work. And so they also made me the youth minister. Had a huge youth group at this little church. Five kids. Two families of kids. And that lady who was keeping our son called me one day, and she said, uh, I need you to talk to our son. Now, this was actually their middle child. He was... Uh, I think his senior year in high school. And he was going through a phase in his life where he wasn't too sure about all that God stuff. And uh, he just was kind of rebellious and they didn't know what to do with him. And so the mom called and she said, I need you to come talk to him for me. And I said, okay. And so I made the decision before I even got off the phone with her what that kid needed to hear, what I was going to say to him. And I began to set up a sneak attack because that's how churches do these kind of things where he didn't know what was coming, and I showed up, and we had this discussion. And he summarily dismissed me as having any input in his life. Go back to the airplane thing I started with, right? I did not have his attention. I did not earn the right to have anything to say to him. And so when I come in with my pre-programmed speech, he was not ready to hear it. You see, that whole way of doing it is how I was trained through the years. But what Simon Peter's teaching us here is that you tap in to the situation. You see what's going on there. You listen to what the other person has to say. Through the years, I've developed some. I started to say evolved some. I don't want to weird anybody out with that. But I've, I've developed a little bit. And so now what I found, those people that I'm most able to connect with in a counseling situation or in a discussion where we're talking about sharing life that comes through Jesus Christ, as I sit with people who have substance abuse problems and they start laying out and I ask them pointed questions, those pointed questions growing out of my own background in that area that helps me to say, okay, so what's going on here? And as we do that, there all of a sudden becomes a connection And it's not about the pre-programmed canned speech that I give them. Then it's about, okay, let's connect on a heart level. So what drives underneath the surface of all of this is this expectation that we care about people. It's not a data transfer thing at all. It's not a religious check on our gun belt because we live for Jesus today. It's about connecting and engaging people for the good news of Jesus Christ. Just pay attention to what's going on in their life because one of the realities is what's going on in their life is tough. God has a way of grabbing people's attention. And it's our responsibility to discern where they are. So it leads me to the second one, and this one I'm going to kind of mention quickly and move on, but in the first part of verse 14, I find a little phrase here that I never noticed. I I probably read through this. I know I've preached through it a couple of different times. Uh, I I don't remember ever seeing this little phrase before, but this week as I started studying through this, it jumped out at me. But Peter, here's the phrase, standing with the 11. Maybe it's our Western thinking where we... Uh, elevate the individual and great individual accomplishments and that kind of thing. I don't know, but I never really picked up on the fact 
that before Peter gets into this sermon, there is an acknowledgement that there are 11 other disciples there with him. Wonder. Let's just do a little sanctified imagination here. Put yourself into that crowd. And Simon Peter starts working his way through this sermon. I wonder how many of our modern uh, practices began to bubble to the surface. Do you suppose any of those other 11 disciples, as Simon Peter was making a point, that any of them went, oh, get them, sick them. You think any of them said, amen? I, I don't, we don't know that. But my suspicion is that Simon Peter was well aware of the fact that there were 11 other guys who had done life with him, with Jesus, who were supporting him and what he did. You see, one of the values of church, and I think it's probably a good time for us to come back with a little bit of an argument for church and for involvement in church because we are Western and we do kind of like the go it alone kind of a thing. And we can take or leave church most of the time. But the reality is that we need each other. Because anytime that we step into a situation where we're trying to share life with somebody, by definition, that is spiritual warfare. And warfare, by definition, means people get damaged. People get hurt. There are casualties in war. So one of the things that we celebrate, and we find it here, and it's not a huge thing here, but I think it's important for us because if we're not careful, we just kind of strike out and we go it alone, and so we get out there on the front lines taking Jesus to people. And we get beat up. And some days we get tired. And there are those times that we want to just kind of throw up our hands and go, you know what, I ain't doing this anymore. The value of having a group of people, whether it's your Sunday school class or just a small group, your friends, whatever, who are Christians, that the value is that there is a support there. Whether they're standing next to you or not, you know that you're not ever alone as you go through the process. It's a big thing. And I think it's good for us to see what they're doing there. Here's the third one very quickly. The first one, pay attention to what God's doing around you. Secondly, don't go it alone. Here's the third one. Now, listen to the other person. I kind of touched on this a little bit already, but let me see if I can draw it home a little bit more. What Simon Peter does here, this is in verses 16 and following, and then again a little bit later in verses 25 and following, is he begins now to engage them not with a canned speech, Not with what he learned in some little classroom discussion. He engages them based on where they are. He pays attention to what's going on. The Holy Spirit is there and tongues of fire and there's speaking and interpretation going, all those kind of things. But now, Simon Peter, as he engages them, he meets them at their distinctive point of Jewish religious awareness. So he goes to the Old Testament and he quotes Joel. My suspicion is that very few of us, if any in here, could quote Joel if our lives depended on it this morning. But Simon Peter knows them. He knows it's a feast and there are people that are gathered there. And so he steps into that mix and he speaks language and he uses stuff that they can relate to. And it draws them into the discussion. This is tough for us. I think it is, because this requires that we not only engage people, but that we listen without being offended. 
that's the tough part. Because it's easy to get offended. I, I hear this a lot from people. I don't, I don't think I want to go to church because there's just too many hypocrites there. You ever hear that? What, what's, I don't want you to answer out loud here, uh, but I'm interested in how you might answer that question. It, or It's not a question, it's a statement. I don't want to go because there's just too many hypocrites there. How do you respond to that? If you're aware, that's the first point that we made here. If you're aware of what's going on, you see God at work, and you're able to even have a question or a conversation, and they're immediately going to this point of, well, there's just too many hypocrites there. Well, what do you do with that? Here's what I do with that. I agree with them. You are absolutely right. Our church is full of hypocrites. I have a list of those. Uh, No, I don't have a list of those either. But if I did have a list of those... I would have to be at the top of the list. And you would have to be at the top of your list, probably. But you see, part of what you do is you, you, we have to, the point I think we're trying to get here is we have to engage people. And the way we engage them is not to just shoot down every argument that they might throw at you. Why don't you just engage that? Nobody is smart enough to be all wrong about something. So you filter for the truth and you try to lock in. What what is it that this person is really upset with? And here's what I found. People who talk about church being full of hypocrites and therefore I don't want to go to church, most of those people have known Christians who were hypocrites. But that's not hard to do. Every Christian is a hypocrite, if you get right down to it. We're all in process. Now some of us love to act like we're not in process. Those are probably the ones that people have a little issue with. So my experience with people like that is to just go, you know what? You're right. But I'm intrigued by the fact that you won't go to church because there are hypocrites there, but you go to the grocery store and there's hypocrites there too. And football games, for sure. So you get behind it a little bit in order to engage people and treat them like they really matter. And you start digging a little bit. So what is it really that is your hang-up about Okay, so now we turn a little bit, and not so much about going to church, but it's about coming to Christ. That's really the issue here. It's not about getting them to come to church. It's about getting them to know Jesus and the life that he gives. So you meet them on their ground. It's not enough just to hear them. You have to engage them, and that requires that you enter into their world. And this is hard for us because their world is challenging. I've said it several times. It is the thread that ties all of this together, I think. And that is that if we're going to talk with people about Jesus Christ and share life with them and engage them for the sake of the gospel, it, in, it requires of us that we care about them. And if we care enough about them, we will invest ourselves in them, share life with them, like do life together. But that's dangerous, and that, that begins to get a little bit on our sensibilities. But the reality is, if you're going to reach them, that's where you've got to reach them. So we have an example of this in our family. This week is Thanksgiving, and... Um, our whole crew is coming to our house. 
And um, uh, already. <laughs> but one of the ones coming to our house is our daughter-in-law, Selena. And that's Selena with an X is her first letter of her name. And she is a sweetheart. I got to tell you, love her to death. So glad that she married into our family and she is systematically knocking off edges off of our son, making him a much better man. But I have to tell you, the first time I met Selena, it was like, ooh, hmm. Colin had come home and told his mama, mama, I met a girl and uh, she's pretty. <laughs> and he was right. She was pretty, is pretty. Um, and, and they've been married four years, but they dated for at least that long, I guess. And so, they, so this is a long time ago back. But I remember when he first brought her to the house to meet us. And she comes in and her hair is a different color. Now, some of y'all sport hairdos that are multiple colors, okay? Um, that's fine. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Her hair was different colors. And she had jewelry all over her face. Not just in her ears, but in other places on her face. And so uh, here, I'm dealing with this going, okay, a little bit edgy. I like edgy. Edgy's cool. I got that. She's nice. She's very polite and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But the real deal for me, okay, when I thought, oh, I don't know about this, was when she, well, I think he's the one who told us, actually. Because we offered, okay, let's go out to eat. That's always the nice, you know, nice way to kind of break it in. And so we went out to eat and... She, we, uh, he informed us that she was vegetarian, pescatarian. She would eat fish. Okay. Now I'm thinking, son, what did I do wrong with you? You can't be American and not eat meat. What I wanted to do and offered to do is buy her a steak and just have them bring it to her. Say, we're going to get over this right now. I, you know, it was, it was, I could handle the face jewelry. Well, as long as it's not on mine, I'm good with that. The hair color thing, I, I, you know, I don't have hair that, so I was okay with that. But, um, well, this meat thing, all of a sudden, I thought, I don't know about that. And the more we got to know her, because you see, that's how relationships happen, right? You, you get to know people better. You, you begin to invest your life in them. And so, because he was certainly investing his life in her. He started bringing her around more, and so we started going out to eat. We had to suddenly choose places where they had more than just meat to eat. I didn't even know they had places like that. (laughs) And so in these moments where we're rubbing lives together, we start finding out stuff about her. You see, one of the things that Selena did not have when she came to our family was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that was an issue for us. Uh, not in a legalistic kind of a way, but just because uh, our son cared about her. And she needed life. She didn't need a religion. She didn't need a bunch of traditional religious garbage. She, matter of fact, she had that. We found out. This is this what kind of helped make up for some of the meat stuff. She got kicked out of CCD classes at her dad's church. 
That's where they teach them their faith and, you know, the particular brand it was. And they teach them that it was. They kicked her out as a teenager because she was asking too many questions. I thought, okay, I can like her. She's a rebel. I like that. So we entered into her world. And because she seemed to like my son a little bit, she entered into our world. And over a period of months that ultimately stretched into years, we saw her gradually give herself to Christ. But you see, a canned speech would have never done it with her because she was smarter than that. What it took was her seeing Jesus alive in people. That's not any different than the people that are in your circle, just so you know. They don't need you to cram Jesus down their throat. Don't do that. They don't need you to take a Bible and smack them upside the head with it. Don't do that. They don't even need you to tell them that if they really love God, they'd vote Republican or independent, or libertarian, or democrat, or whatever brand you happen to carry. What they need is to see that the claims of Jesus work in people's lives. But that means you got to get in there with them and do life together. So the fourth one that we find here, I think Simon Peter would say to us, not only, let me give you the three we've already done just to make sure we're all on the same page. Pay attention to what God's doing around you. Don't go it alone. Listen to the viewpoint of the people around you and meet them there. And now the fourth one is point them to Jesus. It would be easy to take everything that I've said up to this point and make it about you as you go out to try to talk to somebody about the Lord. It ain't about you. It's always about Jesus. That's what Simon Peter does here. He meets them where they are. He sees what's going on. He capitalizes on that. His disciple friends are with him. But in the push comes to shove moment, verses 22 through 24, Simon Peter nails it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. Now listen to what he does. He says, you have personal experience seeing what I'm talking about. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He just pushes Jesus to them. Nobody is better at sharing life than the one whose name is life, Jesus himself. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And with all of that, Simon Peter holds Jesus up and says essentially to them, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. Now what do you do with it? That's the last one. The last principle here is you help them personalize it. Because it does very little good for them to walk away knowing more but not having experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Verses 38 through 40. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so as I close, musicians can come on up. Let me just drive it home this way. God has strategically 
placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. They don't need religion. They don't need tradition. They don't need a canned speech. They don't need a hit-and-run gospel drive-by. They need life. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So let me ask you to just bow your heads with me as we close this part of the service out. Let me ask you a couple of pointed questions. First of all, do you have that life? And it may be that you came in here and there's a last thing on your mind was to have to deal with this kind of question. But the reality is, now that you know about Jesus, what are you going to do with Jesus? None of us have the opportunity of hearing the truth come to us without having to deal with the truth. So if you don't know Jesus in a way that, that gives life, if you, if you haven't come to the point where you understand enough about who he is that you're willing to trust what he says about himself, well, then at least be willing to enter into a conversation about that. Do the, do the research Check into him to see if his claims are real or not. Don't don't look at all the people in your past who would argue against him being real. Look to him. Let him be the one to give you the answers. Do you have life? Have you experienced a life-changing power of Jesus Christ? If not, then today is a great day to get that settled. We're going to go into invitation time. Aaron's going to be at the back, and I'll, I'll be down front here. If you want to talk or pray with one of us, or we got other deacons and others who can talk with you, but don't leave today until you at least begin the process of, of searching out the life that Jesus Christ can give you. Now, many of us, probably most of us in this room today, have long since settled that question. So my question to you and the invitation to you is, who is it in your circle that really needs life? And are you actively investing yourself in them? If you don't have anybody in your circle who needs life, you need to get that straight because that is straight up contrary to Scripture. But those people that are in your life who need Jesus, why don't you commit to pay attention to what God's doing in their lives so that you might be available to them with a life-changing message. So, Father, we ask you to take this time, use it for your glory, change lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.